Good morning. Let me get organized up here. It's second Sunday, so we're in the book of Psalms. You can be turning to Psalms 119. Yes, so praise the Lord. It is good to be here. You know, this is something the van started, um, I don't know, I guess five months back, I think around the fifth section of verses. Whoever's good at math can figure it out. There's eight, there's eight verses in a section. We're starting at, we just finished 40. You do that division. Um, uh, you know, and, and Van isn't with us. And so I'm up here this week and just, I'm going to put this in your minds right now. Uh, I'm going to be up here. Chris Miller is going to be up here kind of back and forth for a few months. But one of the things that we uh, are praying about, one of the things that Dell is praying about is that this second Sunday also would be uh, a time where we get to bring some of, some of these other men up and start training some men and preaching and give you an opportunity to be in, in front of the body uh, and just work with us through Psalms 119. And so some of you should be praying about that. Some of you are going to get asked about that, whether you're praying about it or not. And then you're going to start praying about it. And you'll be like, I hadn't prayed about it. And then we'll be like, well, my bad. Let's wait a few months because you should pray about it uh, before you get up here. But just so that's, that's out there. Now, Faith Fellowship, that means on second Sundays, that's a really important Sunday for you guys. Uh, every Sunday is important for you to be praying for your preachers and your pastors. Uh, but on second Sundays, there's a good chance that uh, you're going to get somebody up here uh, who maybe has never had the opportunity to get up and preach in front of a group like this before. So you guys, too, need to make sure you come praying for the preacher, praying for the class, uh, praying that God would develop and raise up out of this group uh, more men who are equipped uh, with, with the knowledge and the heart to preach and deliver his word. It's part of the vision, right? I heard something about that. Just two simple words. Shepherds and evangelists. All right. I'm going to read through our passage for us just so we put this whole passage in mind. It's eight verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down. You know, I have, it, I have it right here on this paper. I don't even know why I'm looking for it. It looks good when you're the preacher and you actually open the Bible, even though I got it written down here. Here we go. Psalms 119, starting in verse 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. For I trust in thy word, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. And my hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. And I will meditate in thy statutes. Let's ask the Lord to help us real quick and we'll unpack this. God, we do need your help as we get into your word. It is your book. It is a spiritual book and it is only spiritually discerned if it is going to matter in our lives. Uh, God, we need your your mind to guide us uh, into your mind. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the, the title for what we're looking at today is, is Finding Confidence. As you work through this uh, stanza here, I, I see a lot of things and we'll, we'll break it down uh, in terms of how David is instructing us to find confidence, find confidence in the Lord and then find confidence also to function in our Christian life. All right. 
basically, if you were to, to look at this, it, there's a pretty easy breakdown for this section or this stanza. It's got two basic sections. It's the first four verses and then the last four verses. In the first four verses, um, you know, it's like A, B, A, B type of a, a repeating little couplet. In verses 41 and 43, uh, the psalmist make a, makes a request. He gives two uh, real clear requests. And then the off verses from that, he makes two declarative responses. So in verses 42 and 44 are the responses to the request that he just made. So that's the first half. Uh, and then the second half follows um, a different pattern. And this is interesting. If you've been around here, you've been around the Bible, when I write it like that, you go, ooh, that kind of triggers something. Because what David does after that is he gives you five I wills. So we'll see five I will statements out of David in the second half of this chapter. And so that's the simple, the most simple way to kind of split this up. So as you jump into it, in verse 41, you see his first request. And David starts by saying this, let thy mercies also, uh, come also unto me. And this is his, his first request. And the next request is in verse 43, and take not the word of truth uh, from me. And so two cries from David's heart right here at the beginning. I need your mercy and I need your truth. I need mercy and I need your word in my life. And this is where he begins. Uh, and I love what he begins with. And this is, this is where we have to begin today. Let your mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation, according to thy word. Notice that mercy and salvation both come from God's word. And first and foremost, that's an important thing to recognize. That if you are going to have any mercy in your life, if you have any hope of salvation in your life, it comes only from the word of God. Well, I know some merciful people. Well, praise the Lord, you do. But mercy comes from the word of God. Well, I think I can find salvation another way. I can work for it. I'm a decent person. No, salvation comes also only from the word of God. In fact, salvation itself is a mercy of God. And that is one of the points that David is making here. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 19, you have the very first mention uh, of mercy. It, it'll show up here on the screen so you can see it as well. It says, Behold, now it's a lot talking. Thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. And this sets the context for us for what mercy actually means every time. Mercy isn't just that someone did something nice to me. It's not just a gift. It is life when death was deserved, right? Here's Lot and what he knows in reality in his own heart and in his own mind. He knows that he too should die in Sodom with every other person that's going to die. But he says, God showed me mercy. And he's giving me the chance to come out alive. And this is what mercy is all the way through the Bible. Is that God wants to give you life where death was earned. God wants to give you life where death was deserved. Rightfully so. And this is the mercy of the Lord. And this is what David starts with in his, in, his, in his first plea. His first cry is, God, I've got to have mercy. Now, David understands mercy in a way that uh, few others do. In fact, there's a, a unique term in the Bible uh, 
for the mercies that David himself received. It's the sure mercies of David. That phrase shows up twice in scripture. It's actually a, even that word is different than a lot of the other words that are used in the Hebrew to, to translate even the word mercy. But you see it first in Isaiah 55 and verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. God just kind of drops that on us here in Isaiah and makes that promise that there is this thing called that, that's known as the sure mercies of David. It's repeated in Acts 13, 34, as Peter's preaching, and it's concerning, and we'll get there you know, in a couple of weeks. We're about to hit Acts 13. And it's concerning uh, that he raised him up from the dead, talking about Jesus. Now, no more to return to corruption. And he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And so, so Peter comes along and makes the application from Isaiah uh, sure mercies of David to what Jesus Christ himself did on the cross. And, and when you look through the Old Testament, you see the sure mercies of David. The promise that God made David is that there will be an eternal king from your line sitting on an eternal throne. Okay? This is the promise to David. And the sure mercies of David is, is, is even to David, he's going, David, you deserve death too, by the way. No matter how good you think you are, uh, David was a man after God's own heart, deserved death. Okay, but God made a promise with him. He says, I'm going to give you a king. He's going to sit on a throne. Peter comes in and fills us in on, on the details of that. He goes, look, Jesus Christ is the answer to that. His death and resurrection gives him the power over death, and he will then one day sit on an eternal throne as a son of David. From the line of David, he will be the king eternal. And this is a sure mercy that God has guaranteed. Now, that's really good news if, you know, if you're David, uh, if you're a Jew of the lineage of David. That's cool news. But the application that Peter makes is that this is good news for all of us is that this news is also rooted and runs through the person of Jesus Christ who came not only to redeem the Jews into a physical kingdom where he will sit on a throne, but to redeem the entire world into his kingdom. So Gentile, if that's, a, if that's an odd term for you, that means anyone who's not a Jew. So you're here and you're not a Jew. The sure mercies of David have been extended unto you as well. Here's how sure they are. Psalms 89, verse 28. My mercy will I keep with him, uh, for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. In fact, God goes on to describe this covenant and says, this covenant is as sure as my covenant with the sun and the moon. If you are capable to make the, the sun not rise tomorrow, then you are capable of breaking my covenant with, with David. Otherwise, as long as the sun is rising, God says, uh, my covenant with David will also stand. So this is a sure and forever covenant. He makes that, that declaration in Jeremiah 33. Uh, in fact, in verse 20, if you wanted to write it down, I didn't put that verse up there. But here's the guarantee from God. Mercy can be extended to everybody by putting your faith in the offspring of David, the one Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth, giving up a throne in order to defeat death and claim a throne forever and also to be Lord of your life. 
So this is where David begins this psalm. And this is important because this is the foundation upon which we, we must begin if we are ever to have any kind of confidence in our life. Many of you are here and, and get everything that I just said. You're, 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 you're a believer in Christ. You're a Christian. You are saved. You are born again. Listen, then you have the foundation that you need to be confident in this life. And in every trial, trouble, situation, interaction that may come your way, if you don't know him as Savior, then you don't have even the foundation. One, you don't have, you don't have a hope of, of an unbreakable promise like David did. You don't have hope of eternal life. But two, you don't have a hope of confidence in this life. You know, Paul wrote, referring to the resurrection of Christ and, and the idea that the, the dead will live again. He said, we have great confidence in this. If, if we didn't have confidence in that, then we of all men would be most miserable. But here's the reality. We know that one has overcome the grave already, and because of the one, many will. So we have a confidence in that. So this is where David begins. I guess I should say this too real quick. Not everyone uh, thinks that David wrote Psalm 119. There is uh, some debate, I guess, or discussion about that. So if you wanted to dive in and see what a bunch of different people have said, there are other ideas out there. Uh, some people say it could have been Moses. Some people say it could have been uh, Jeremiah. Some people say it could have been one of the other psalmists, uh, like Asaph. But uh, I think when we compare the other things that David has written with what is written in Psalm 119, I, I'm, I'm in the it was David camp. Uh, he is repeating a lot in Psalm 119 that he said in other places. So anyway, I'll just throw that, that out there. So if that was an issue for you, like if I say David, and you're like, it's not quite David. Well, that's fine. Be at peace. I get that. You, can, you don't have to agree with that. But this is where David began. Is that it begins and it's built on the mercy of God. Mercy and salvation, again, they come only from his word. And this is what David got. There is no greater reason to have confidence than this. That God is merciful in salvation. He gives life to those who should die. Now, because of that, what flows out of that is in this verse 42. So verse 42 and 44 start the same. They both start with, so shall I. So it's a response to what he's just said. And here's his response. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in, the, in, in thy word. It's a little bit weird, but what David is saying is this. I've got the sure mercies of the Lord. I should have been dead, but he's given me life. Now, as I walk through this life, David says, and David had, many enemies. I'm going to have many that reproach me. I'm going to have a lot of people that, that come up against me. Now, the same thing will be true in your life. There will be people, whether you choose to follow the Lord or not, there's going to be people who are against you. Uh, one thing the apostles teach us is it's better to have some enemies because you're following the Lord than not, okay? So you get, it, you get the enemies either way. You may as well follow the Lord, okay? You'll never please everybody. And what David is saying is this, look, people are going to reproach you. That's a, uh, a strong word. It's translated as different English words like uh, to upbraid, which kind of means to berate, to belittle, to attack, to blaspheme, to rail, to defy. Those are some of the other ways that the same uh, Hebrew word is translated in the scripture. So there will be men in your life, your boss, your co-workers, uh, you know, people you go to school with, people that were even once your friend that will be in this, that will give you a hard time. 
what David said is, look, because of the mercy of the Lord, because of his salvation, both of which that flow from the word, I have a response to those who would attack me. And, and you could be just like David, you could be right in saying the, the, the attack is without cause. And that too will happen. God, I don't know why I'm being persecuted like this. David, and here's the response to all of that. Just as you have received mercy, you ought to give mercy. How do I respond when people are, are, are against me, when some, a coworker speaks lies about me or against me to promote themselves? Well, you should have been dead, by the way. And God gave you that mercy. What's the response? Don't kill them. Don't kill them with your words. Don't respond in kind. Show mercy. Why? Right after that colon, because I trust in your word. So I trust that the promises of God will stand true no matter what. Second thing he begs for is he said, uh, I've got to have your word in verse 43. I've got to have your word. Take not your word utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgment. So this is a little weird to me. Hope in judgment, right? I have hope in judgment. I've got kids. Usually when judgment comes, it's not a very hopeful situation for them. That rod, coming again. But David said, because I have your word, that leads me to a place where when judgment does come in my life, I've got it. The actual, I actually have the opportunity to have hope. That's a powerful thing. Because without the word of God in your life, you have absolutely no hope and judgment. And believe it or not, accept it or not, the truth of what God tells us is that judgment will come for all of us. We will all one day stand before the Lord God to give an account. And that day has been called the terror of the Lord. To stand before the one who knows the thoughts and intents of your hearts, your motivation behind every action. You fooled us, but God knew your heart and all of that. The one who knew those thoughts that were going through your mind all along. It's a scary thing, but David said, I have hope in that day. And these are the two prayers that we as Christians have to begin with and have to be crying out. I can have confidence walking through this life because I can also have confidence in the end and judgment when I stand before him because I have his word. I have the truth that he has given me to navigate this life and to get to that day and to be able to stand before him and say, look, I know I didn't do it all right, but as much as I could, I was in your book and I was reading it and I was memorizing it and I was studying it, and I was trying to live it. There'll be some things to answer for, but you know what? I have hope, and in the biblical, the biblical word hope means not like a, like a wish, like I hope my wife buys me a new motorcycle. Yeah, dream on, right? Hope in the Bible is a sure thing. It's a sure hope, okay? I have hope the assurance that I even have the opportunity, and this is crazy, to receive reward from the creator of the universe. 
How wild of a thought is that? That when I should just be worshiping and giving and dropping everything on him, he's going, hey, well done. This is for you. So there's hope and judgment. So take not your word utterly out of my mouth. We'll come back to this idea of the word in the mouth, actually in the very last verse. But the response to that, so in verse 44, David gives another one of these, so shall I. Um, so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. So the only, the only actual hope that you can have in the judgment is not just to have the word, but what David said is to keep it continually every single day of your life until you die. That will give you hope in the judgment. Be ye, what's the Bible say? Uh, somebody's following my track. Doers, not just hearers. The word. Because when we do it, it brings us to that place where we can actually have hope in judgment. So both mercy and hope come from the word. Hope and judgment is only experienced by those who have known the mercy of salvation, number one. Uh, and the word should bring hope in our lives as we daily live it out, right? So th this is the foundation. And so this is where confidence begins. Confidence begins, one, with salvation, with an eternal, uh, with a knowledge of an eternal security, eternal relationship with the Father. Confidence begins, number two, with the idea that one day I'll meet him. And as scary as the thought of that is, uh, I have hope in that. Okay? As long as I'm doing what he told me. So this is where David begins. And that's the uh, the, the kind of the A-B uh, response, in, you know, a, a declaration, a response, a declaration, a response. Hmm? No, we're not there yet. Oh, we're not. We should, we, we're definitely not there yet. Oh, right there. Okay. The response to the word is this. Sorry. If you already wrote that down, I'll make sense of that for you in just a minute. The response to the word is simple. Do it. All right, so let's, I want to actually wanted to spend a little more time in the second half of the chapter. I think we can still do that. Um, David's five I wills. You see it in verse 45, and I will. Verse 46, I will. Uh, verse 47 again, and I will. Verse 48, he says it, you know, backwards. My hands also will I. That's still an I will statement. I'm going to count it. Uh, in the back half of verse 48, and then he says it again, I will. Um, and I didn't put it up on the screen for you, but you, I think a lot of you know that Satan has five I wills. Lucifer himself uh, five times declares what he will do in Isaiah chapter 14. Um, there's, there's a good study that you might want to, or not, well, I don't know, you may not want to, but you can look at yourself and you can just look at and see the things that Lucifer said he will do and the things that, that David says that he will do. And you can draw a lot of conclusions and, and learn a lot by lining those up. Uh, and seeing what it says. We're not actually going to do that today. Just throwing that out there uh, so you can have some homework if you want it. But as we walk through each of these statements, with each statement uh, just comes a key point in terms of, of applying that 
to confidence and, and applying that to practice in our life. So let's start in verse 45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Now, this, this one, too, is really odd to me. It's like having hope and judgment. This one, too, seems a, like a little bit of a contradiction. Because what he says is, <clears throat> I'm free when I seek your precepts, which are restrictions, which are guidelines, which are boundaries. See what he's saying? Like the more I seek for your boundaries, the more free I feel. And that just sounds a little odd. Typically, naturally in our flesh, we, go, we, don't, we don't want the boundaries. We don't want the laws. We don't want the, the precepts. We don't want the the, the guidelines, if I really want to be free, then that should mean that I can do whatever I want. That's freedom, right? But what David says is this, is that true freedom actually comes by functioning within the bounds that God has set up for us. And only when we know the bounds that God has set do we actually get absolute and true freedom. I have liberty because of your precepts. Now, it's, it's not natural thinking. This is, this is spiritual. This is supernatural thinking. But when you get God's mind on this, it starts to make sense. So let's go all the way back to the garden. There was one command. It was pretty easy. Don't eat that tree. Well, can I eat that tree? Well, yeah, because it's not that tree. Can I plant more seeds? Well, yeah, just don't eat that tree. Can I... Pet the tiger? Yeah, just don't eat that tree. Right? Like all of a sudden it takes away all of the questions, all of the wonder, all of the, is this okay or not? Like how far can I go? It's clear how far you can go. Don't eat the tree. So what did that give them? Liberty, complete freedom to function within the bounds of that one command. Yeah, but then God gave 10 more. And then like, 200 more if you read the Old Testament. So there's like a, a whole lot of commands. How is that freeing? Well, because in the Old Testament, and then we'll shift it to the New Testament here in just a minute, but God, what God says is he, he gave those commands, he gave those laws as, as a means to protect his people. There was a, a backside to all of that that you couldn't have seen from your position. The backside is, is going to protect you from disease in some senses. It's going to keep you clean. It's going to protect you, uh, you know, from spreading leprosy around. There were a lot of things that God built into the law that, that were designed just so you don't die. Not a lot of liberty in being dead. In fact, if you go all the way back to that very first command, what God told Adam was, don't eat of this tree, because if you do, you will die. Listen, I'm giving you a law not to restrict you, not to, to you know, I, there, some of that is, yeah, God was, you know, testing. I want to know where your heart is. Sure, there's that too. But the, the primary purpose of the law was never to say, these are the boundaries. Don't cross it or lightning bolts are coming. The primary purpose of is, is this. I love you. I don't want you to die. Now that's freeing. You get to the New Testament and Jesus says, we'll take all the laws, all the prophets, hang it all on this. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it? Yeah, that's it. So, can I do this? Does it 
contradict loving God, loving your neighbor? Uh, no? Then do it. Like all of a sudden, you just got really free to function within the bounds that God has set. It means you got to know the bounds that God has set, and then you can function within them. We do that as a church. You, um, we have nine ministry principles that guide this church, all right? Um, so, okay, so keep... Key point number one, I think that's the next slide. We'll just say that. So then back up one and then we can. Confidence knows the power of proper boundaries is your word. So you actually gain confidence by knowing the boundaries, by knowing the, the, the guidelines by which God has set for you. When you understand them, that sets you free to function. It gives you confidence. Now, the next slide is, uh, these are the nine ministry principles that you absolutely cannot see and read. That's a very poorly made slide. I don't know what happened. They were white at one time. That's on me. And you can't see number one or number nine. So these are seven of the nine ministry principles that are camouflaged to make it as difficult as possible. As a church, we have these nine ministry principles. Things like we are always making disciples. We have a final authority. We are a house of prayer. Uh, we are servant leaders. Those are some of the, them. And that's powerful and freeing for us as a body. You go, uh, Chris, you know, he's, he's the head deacon. You're like, I have this great idea. Can I do this or that? And Chris would, you know, just run it by some of these things. Like, does it conflict with us being a house of prayer? Oh, you want your thing to run on Tuesday nights? You can't do it. There's a boundary there. Oh, it doesn't conflict with us being a house of prayer. Awesome. Is it according to the word of God? You keep in the Bible as your standard. Yeah. Is it train someone up in discipleship and leadership? Yeah. Well, then do it. Like Chris can use these. Chris Best can use these. Pastor Sam does use these. This is how we function. Well, what do I do? Everything that God has called you to do, as long as it fits within these boundaries, you're free. You're free to move about the country the world, the church, serve. So boundaries actually set us free to serve the Lord. And that's, that is, uh, of course, an unusual thing. It's unnatural uh, for us to, to, to come to that. But confidence comes by taking steps forward in, in, in the Lord. I will walk at liberty when I seek thy precepts, by the way. So there's that. Oh, we're still back. We're still there. I'll, I'll help you out. I'll let you know. Right. It's tough when you just get someone's PowerPoint. You don't have any idea what I'm doing up here. I'll, I'll help you. All right. Uh, so that's verse 45. You want to know the proper boundaries in your life. What does that mean? Get discipled. I've been discipled. Get into D2. I've been in D2. Get into LFBI. Study the word on your own daily. When you, when you, when you come across something that doesn't make sense, you ask somebody. You get accountability in your life. Get into a Bible study so you know the boundaries and then function within that. Verse 46, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. All right, so this is our next uh, key point. Confidence is more concerned with obedience than appearance. And I'll explain that to you. Confidence is more concerned with obedience than appearance. Here's David's declaration that he's going to speak the testimonies of the Lord before kings and not be ashamed. For a lot of you, that's a scary thought. I need you to go talk to the mayor tomorrow. While you're there, just share the gospel with him. Uh, excuse me? Uh, Joe Biden's going to be here uh, 
in town visiting something. Can you run over there and share the gospel with them? Uh, that's scary, right? Or even, you know, your, your boss at work. Let's get down to your real world. Your boss at work, those people that have authority over you. Um, it can be scary. And then we have a lot of reasons not to. You go, well, I'm an introvert. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. That means you don't have to share the gospel. <laughs> Those commands were only for extroverts. Those who love to share the gospel and just talk to everybody. You know a few of them. Um, it's not about being an extrovert. It's not about being an introvert. It is more about being concerned with obedience, period. No matter how you would classify yourself, it is, it is about obedience. So confidence comes from knowing the truth. I will speak of thy testimonies. I have absolute truth. Now, what weighs higher in my life? The way I look before people the way my boss might think of me, the way some smart person, a teacher, a professor might think of me, appearances, or obedience. And those two things are constantly kind of in battle. You know, in the flesh, we, we do want to be accepted. We want to fit in. We want maybe even to please people, some of us. But we can't be a people pleaser and a God pleaser. It's hard for me to get out and talk to people. I get especially scared with the gospel. Okay. The command doesn't change. So will you prioritize obedience over your own comfort and identity or not? I wanted to put a picture in. I forgot to do it into this PowerPoint. There, I got sent a picture. Some of you might have seen it of Lon, I don't know if you know Lon from the college group. He leads our, our evangelism team and he was out with a guy, Bobby. And the first picture, they're standing in front of a, a van and, and on the van it says the, the what does it say? The, the ministries of the Church of Scientology, something to that effect. And they have one of our church tracks in their hand. The next picture is that church track stuck under the, the windshield wiper. So they're out there you know, evangelizing the church Scientology and anyone else they come across, uh, you know, and, and I thought that was just a great image to kind of encapsulate what we're talking about here. And if you were to think about some of the, the strong evangelists in our church, a lot of you know Larry Smith. Probably none of you go, man, that guy's an extrovert. That guy, I just can't shut him up every time we get around. He's just... Larry's not a natural extrovert, right? Lon's not so much either, more than Larry. But why, did, why is Larry evangelizing and, and leading people to the Lord left and right? Why is Larry up in Laramie, Larry and Laramie, leading six people to the Lord in, in a day? It's not because of his, 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 his natural character. It's because he chose obedience. So you know what? I'm just going to take God's word. I'm going to start speaking it to everybody. Well, how does Larry get that confidence? Because it's not about Larry's natural man. It's not about his nature. It's about, I have truth. 
so I got to speak it. And that's, what the, that's where this, this idea will be anchored in. If you actually believe that you have truth, absolute truth, you have the full and complete truth, and that others don't have it, where that sinks down into your heart, you will want to give that out, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you. So we must be more concerned with obedience than our own build and our own, you know, the way people might perceive us, our own appearances. Consider David and Saul. Saul never knew what it was to have a relationship with the Word of God. David never knew what it was to not have a relationship with the Word of God. This was a man who loved the testimonies of the Lord. And look at the difference in their lives. I don't know what kind of... Like, I don't know if David was an extrovert or Paul, but I do know this. Paul prayed open doors. Paul prayed for boldness. Paul prayed for help in sharing the gospel. Things that we would go, well, extroverts don't need to pray for that. They just go do it. Well, Paul prayed for it. Maybe we should too. Psalm 138 and verse 1, David said this, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. No, not just before kings, before the gods even. I'll make declarations to all the false gods, and that gets scary sometimes. Uh, that the Jehovah's Witness who comes to my house, the, the, the Mormon missionary who comes to my house with their false doctrines and false gods, David's like, bring them to my house. I'll make some declarations to them. Wicked spirits, bring them to my house. I'll share the gospel with them. You have a perfect example of this in, in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three men who, who were willing to stand up to a king and to share the gospel. What was their nature? I don't know, but I know they were obedient, right? Matthew 10, 19, and when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given unto you in that same hour what you shall speak. It's talking you know, about being delivered up into really un, unto death. Uh, being delivered up to, to a wicked ruler that would put you to death. But listen, walk into a relationship with your coworker and just trust that God will give you the words in that moment. The same principle applies. Next verse, 47. Is that where we're at? Okay, good. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. Now I'll give you this key point. Confidence comes from the joy of doing what you love. And I'll tell you what I think about the way I wrote that. I think you could like take that and tweet it and I would sound like, uh, you know, your average really popular pastor. That sounds real self-help. That sounds real Joel Osteen. That sounds real. Um, just, I think it's it real cheesy is how it sounds to me. This sounds like nachos right there. Like, you should do what you love. I'm like, that's cheesecake, man. That's, but there's a point I want to make with it. It's, it's this. You have in this verse, you have love and delight. I delight myself in the commandments which I have loved. And it's like those two are feeding one another. You have love with an arrow going over to delight and delight with that arrow, you know, that feeds over to love. And those two things just kind of cycle through and cycle through. And you get the idea. You think about the things that you love or enjoy to do. Think about your hobby, the thing that, 
you're passionate about or a pastime, whatever it is, right? If you love to go fishing, then when you get an opportunity to fish, it brings you joy. You're like, you're delighted by that, right? Why are you delighted by it? Because you love it. And those, and, and those two things just continue to feed into each other. And the more you get the opportunity to fish, the more you love it. And the more you love it, the more you delight in it. And so then you're at Walmart. Like, I have no idea where you actually buy a fishing pole. So I'm just going to say Walmart. <laughs> and you're at Walmart and you're like, I got to look at fishing pole and some tackle and should have picked an example that I actually understand. <laughs> like, and you, you delight in those things. And all of a sudden you're like studying, like what's the best kind of bait to use to catch the fish I want? And, and why are you doing that? Because you love it. You see how those two things feed each other? It's almost like, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did David love the word first or did he delight in it first? I don't know the answer to that, but he loves it. And for him, what he's saying is this, it's a joy for me when I get the opportunity to spend time in it. I love my wife. And then sometimes when I come home, uh, she just smiles and, and I can tell that she loves me and she's actually joyful and delighted by the fact that I've come home. Yes, I said sometimes. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Just, just being honest. You feel me. You, you. But I can see it in her face. There's days when I come home and maybe it's like, oh, hallelujah, the, the, the Calvary's finally come to deal with these kids. There's days that are like that. Like she just loves me because I can get rid of the kids. But there's times when I show up and I can see that she is, is, is so just joyed that I'm there, that I'm in her presence, that we get to be together for the rest of the evening, right? Why is she so joyful about that? Because she loves me. Why, is she, why does she love me? Because huh? I bring joy in her life. And many other things. But, but, but it feeds like that. So how is your relationship to the word of God? Do you actually love it? Do you get up in the morning and thinking, it is my great joy and desire to open up the Bible and to seek his face? Man, I love it so much. Like I'm excited to set my alarm early. Said nobody ever. No, said a lot of God's people, right? Because we do it for the things we love. We sacrifice our time and we sacrifice our money and we, we study to learn more about what bait will catch what. We were in, in Florida a few weeks ago and I took my boys fishing off the pier into the ocean because they said they wanted to. And, and I was like, okay, I'm a good dad, so I'm going to go fish with you. And we did that for some hours. And we had... Um, squids we bought squid as a bait so like whole squids and you just chop them up and put them on and we had shrimp as a bait and then we had like a, a fish i don't even know what you call them it was a little fish and i have no idea what bigger fish in the ocean prefer squid or shrimp or like why i would choose one over the other so we're just randomly putting baits on but there's people out there that are trying to educate me they're like hey bro you should do it like this and they know those things because they actually love this idea of, of, of fishing uh, out there all morning. Man, Sam is such a wise guy. How did he get to know so much of the Bible? Well, because he loves it. He spends time in it. 
And he studies it. So I hope you understand that the heart of, of this idea of confidence is, you know, as, as cheesy as I think I wrote that key point, the idea is this. When you actually love the word of God, it gives you confidence to move forward in faith. It gives you confidence and it brings joy into your life. When you actually have joy, you have confidence that you can face whatever's coming today. You know, I often personally find it true that the things that, that God shows me in my morning devotion, my morning quiet time, are exactly the things that I need to apply you know, five, six, seven hours later in, in my day. Afternoon comes and that discussion with the coworker, that issue with my child, that, you know, that, that issue with my student. Oh, yeah. I have that from this morning. And when you recognize that and you realize that, someone asks you, they're like, hey, can you counsel me? Can you give me a little advice on this? And immediately that verse from this morning pops into your mind. One, you like, you get giddy. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you, can, you feel like a kid. Like it happens, even if it happens all the time, you know? Uh, you're like, you just gave me that this morning. And inside you're just like, yeah, I got an answer. And then that gives you confidence to be able to speak into the, that situation as well. Right? Does that make sense? So we should have this continual love delight cycle with the word of God. I love it and it brings me joy. Because it brings me joy, I love it more. It keeps building. Verse 48. My hands also will I lift up under thy commandments, which I have loved. Uh, number four, confidence produces good servants. This idea of lifting up your hands, it brings, it brings two different pictures to mind. One is worship, and, uh, and that's probably the first and foremost uh, picture that comes. But what Psalms 141 verse 2 tells us is that you know, our worship uh, can also be a sacrifice, or we lift up our hands in sacrifice as well. First Chronicles 29 verses 2 and 3 talk about that same idea. So this idea of lifting up our hands in worship, uh, confidence should produce something in your life. And what it should be is this, is that you should be a good servant. I'm really sorry that all of like the important words are not on there either. We'll get this figured out. Oh, it's actually there. It's just black. It's so black. It's so black. And the background is off black. I can see it over here. It's actually there. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you, uh, when, when your life is, is, is brought to the place where everything I do is for the worship of the Lord, I lift up my hands to worship him. I also lift up my hands and say, hey, I surrender, Lord, whatever you want. That immediately makes me a servant. But that plays out in my relationships with others. I don't have to be a boss all the time. I really don't have to be a boss anytime. I'm confident enough that I could show up yesterday morning and let some random guy go, hey, why don't you get this vacuum and take it over there? Cool. I can do that. I can serve. Because Dale could be like, wait a minute, I'm a fellowship leader. 
Fellowship leaders don't run vacuums, we dust. Or whatever you think the hierarchy of cleaning is. And then I'd be like, wait, I'm a pastor. Pastors don't dust, we... I don't even know what else you do in cleaning. We wash windows. I don't know what the hierarchy is. Toilets first. Toilets are for someone else. No, I can serve. Becoming a servant, a son of God, makes us automatically a servant, but that should play out into every one of our relationships. That should be the reality. That's one of our, our principles you may or may not have seen on that camouflage page that came up earlier, is that our leaders are servant leaders. Uh, it's awesome that we had the opportunity to serve this church yesterday. You see, you know, pastors and fellowship leaders and deacons and, and uh, brothers and sisters and families all just serving together. Hallelujah. So listen, your confidence in the Lord should set you free to be a giver. To just serve. Like it doesn't have to be quid pro quo. What if I get nothing in return? Cool, I'm just going to serve. What if no one recognizes me? Cool, I'm confident in that anyway. My confidence didn't come in the praises of men. My confidence comes in lifting up my hands unto the Lord. So it's never tit for tat. Will you remember I did this for you? You remember? You remember I did that for you? You owe me. No, serve them. Be confident in who God made you to be and just serve them and move on. Leave it dead in the water. I served you. Hallelujah. Because I served the Lord. Last. Last half of this verse. And I will meditate in thy statutes. David, last I will is this. I will meditate in thy statutes. Confidence allows for true vulnerability is the word that's going to go there. And I'll explain that to you. Confidence makes us good servants, we just saw, but the last half of this verse, confidence allows us to have true vulnerability. I will meditate in thy statutes. Now, first of all, meditate's an interesting word because we get it wrong. We think it means to think on things, but actually the, the Hebrew word actually means to speak things out loud. It's actually more about talking to yourself. It's about having a uh, you know, an ongoing, even verbal external conversation. So it's not just I sit in silence uh, like, a, like the monks would have you to believe. You sit in silence and you'll be fine. You're meditating. No, um, that word is, is translated as speak, talk, complain, pray, commune, muse, declare, many different ways throughout the Old Testament. So first of all, there's that. Uh, we have to meditate. We have to get the word out. But listen, when we actually meditate in God's word and we are confident in who God has called us to be, it allows us to actually open up and have true relationships. One with God's word, two with our neighbor, uh, our brothers, our Bible study, you know, co-studiers, our Bible study group. Because when I meditate in the word, when I actually start thinking about the things that God is saying, it will always bring me to the place where, where I recognize that I have weaknesses, I have struggles, I have, I have sin in my life, I have things that are not right, I'm not a perfect person, and I have areas of growth that need to happen. And it'll bring me to a position of weakness, and it'll also bring me to a position where if I'm, if I'm confident in the word, it brings me to a position where I can also be vulnerable before others. Like, Justin, what can I pray for you for? And you're like, well, 
There's this guy at work. Praise the Lord. We want to pray for the guy at work. But Justin, what can I pray for you for? And this is what happens. People who don't have a, a, the ability to meditate in the word and the confidence to let it cut you open will also be the ones who are afraid to lay out your heart before someone and say, pray for this for me. For me. This is where I'm struggling. I don't know how to handle the situation with my kid right now. I'm not being a good father. I'm not being a good husband. Those are hard things to say. I'm struggling just reading and loving the word. Whatever it may be, these are all very, very hard things to say. But when we actually meditate on the word, these are the things that, the, that God will reveal to us. And confidence allows us to have relationships with our brothers and sisters where I can go to them. I can go to Justin and say, Justin, this is, this is really where my heart's at. Can you pray for me? That's hard. Because I just opened up and I, I was vulnerable. And I, I gave him information that he could use against me that could be powerful. That, you know, he's got, a, he's got that leg up on me now. But listen, confidence will, will make you vulnerable. And we need to be. You have got to have people in your life that you can open up and speak the secrets of your heart to. It should happen within your marriage, but it should happen outside your marriage as well. Men, you need other men in your life. You need to be in Bible study. You need to be loving and rejoicing in the word. And when it opens up you up and cuts you, you need to have someone where you can just say, look, I'm confident enough to show you my weaknesses. Confident enough to show you my failures because my confidence lies in the fact that I got a promise from the Lord and I'm still his son. And that sanctification takes, takes some time, man. I'm working through it. I'm a work in progress, but I'm, I'm still working through it. Your level of confidence rises according to your capacity to trust the Bible to mean what it says. You will never have confidence to trust in God's word until you decide to step out by faith. We're out of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this stanza and the things that we've seen about how your mercy and your word can build out confidence in our life and what that looks like. God, I pray that would become a reality for us. I pray that we would truly love your word and rejoice in it. I pray that we would be willing to open ourselves up and to have true, intimate, vulnerable relationships. I pray that people would trust us with, their, with, you know, with the hard things of their life because they see that we have an answer. We have hope that we have truth. So Lord God, just uh, in all things, help us to, to see beyond the, the physical nature of who I am and to desire obedience above all else and say, God, what, what you command, I will do. In Jesus' name, amen.